G'day everyone, welcome to episode 12 of Knife Making Down Under podcast. Uh, we've got with us, at the moment anyway, Corin from Gamico, Artisan Supplies, and myself, Kev from Kev's Forge, and we're currently waiting on Mert Tansu from Tansu Knives to overcome some uh, technical issues uh, with his connection. Uh, we're, we're sort of just discussing how it's a little bit like Groundhog Day. Matt, sort your shit out, mate. Come on, get with the program. At least, though, at least with his new microphone, when he is connected, we can hear him. So it's, yeah. uh, you know, it, it only took 10 episodes to get that level of professionalism, uh, but we got there. You know, yeah. to be fair yeah, to yeah. us, we got there. He'll be right. We'll put him under a bit of pressure to get started anyway. So, um, yeah, we've got to, got to get a bit of uh, feedback from people still enjoying the show. Uh, oh, that's a good thing. Uh, you know, we're, we're just doing what we do, which is having a bit of fun, talking, talking knives, talking shit, um, which is good. Uh, so before Mert gets with us again, hopefully he'll be back here soon, but um, Adelaide Knife Show was just on. Um, Corin, you went, you went down there. I missed out this year, which is a real shame because um, there was a, an announcement made from Peter Bald that after... 27 years, I think it is, that he's no longer going to be uh, running the show as such. Um, so, yeah, from my point of view, I don't know. I doubt Peter would listen to us trash talking on here, but um, if you do, Peter, um, thanks for everything you've done, mate. It was, uh, in my view, um, it was the first show that I ever went to, so quite a few years ago now, which was awesome. And I thought it was just probably the, probably the most social show and most fun show to be at as a knife maker. So I'm really bummed that I missed it, but, you know, these things happen. So, Corin, you obviously went over with um, with the guys. Um, what, what's your rundown of the show, mate? How did it go? Um, yeah, look, honestly, it was a, it was a really good event, uh, as always. It was, it was a, had a little bit of a dampener on it because it was in the back of everyone's minds uh, that it was going to be the last one at the Arkabar. Um, to put things in perspective, 27 years ago, it was the first knife show in Australia. So it predates the Guild show and, of course, any of the other shows. So it was the first one. Um, Peter Bald has been involved since the start and um, the guy that actually made it happen. And, uh, yeah, all power, all credit to him on that regard. Um, the rundown on the show, oh, where to start? Uh, look, honestly, great exhibitors, some real class, um, some real class work there. Uh, good to see the usual people, usual suspects getting some awards as well as some new guys. Um, Bruce Barnett, I think, got best folder and um, I think Tobal got best forged. And um, yeah, quote of the weekend, someone said, how'd you get your nickname, Tobal? And Pat Payne said, have you seen him with his pants down? Anyway, that was... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, Tobal got that one and then... Yeah, look, anyway. Um, what's the name? Uh, I, I wasn't Zura, paying too much attention. Osiris Blades got the kitchen knife. Who was um, that? Who uh, Rob. Osiris, he goes under Osiris Blades. Oh, Rob French. Rob. He had the Vitoku thing. I um I wasn't paying too much attention when the awards were being handed out because we're in, you know, what it's like for me. I'm, I'm in the full process of setting up at that stage still, so um, yeah. I, I missed the presentations. But, look, anyway, there was some really class work there. Um, 
So a lot of uh, some new faces. I learned at the show the reason. Oh, sorry, yeah, people. Just a little bit of a distraction. Mert's face has just appeared on our screen, and <laughs> the camera angle is <coughs> less than desirable. Not, not incredibly flattering. Mert, although Mert, us? can you hear us, mate? Ah, uh, barely. I. I fucking hate computers. I fucking hate Facebook. Hate I fucking them. hate everything I hate, hate with with passion. Anything that has is fucking digital. I fucking hate it. Fuck you, Facebook. Fuck you, computers. <laughs> All right. I see a lawsuit coming from Facebook. But anyway, look, um, what's a bit of defamation amongst friends, right? Yeah, fucking. <laughs> they probably hate you too. Uh, I, you're looking cleaner, man. You're looking a lot cleaner today than you were yes. yesterday. Yes, look I like look you, like. <laughs> you, you, you were looking a few shades darker. Let's put it that way. Covered in soot. I thought you'd been rolling around in someone's chimney yesterday. But I look like the fella from the Tropic Thunders yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you pretty much did, actually. <laughs> yeah, Downey Jr., I look like he had the special makeup on. I didn't realize I was grinding a whole lot of blades yesterday and. They said, what the fuck happened to your face? And I looked it up here. <laughs> uh, I've, how, many times, how many times have you ended up like going down to the shops at the end of the day looking like that? I, I brought, when, I, when I use my disc sounder, I'll stick my head over. and I, I kind of do a bit weird. I look, I look over the back of the blade to the plunge lines and stuff to get started and all that sort of shit. And when I wet it down, I end up with this... Um, like band of black shit running like look, I look like the Joker off Batman. I've got this black shit running from cheek to cheek. And I always forget that I've got it, so I'll just go, Oh shit, gotta get out of the post office. So I go down to my local shopping centre. I think they know now. I walk in there just covered in shit from arsehole to breakfast and they fucking they don't even flinch now, which is funny. But you kinda of reminded me of how I look when I do it's that. It's Kev's it's makeup. It's his it's his yeah, yeah, that's it. He's got to put his face on before pretty. he goes out. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just go up and rub some soot into my face. Yeah, I look. I pick up my daughter from the bus stop, and like a lot of the parents are all dressed up and nice, and I'm I'm jumping straight from the shed to pick her up. I have my forging gear on. I have my, my t-shirt is either uh, used to be white, but now it's like fifty shades of gray and brown and black. And they always think, <laughs> look at me like some homeless is picking this <laughs> young daughter from the school bus. Like, no, 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 I'm not homeless. I'm I'm her dad. Around they here, we call it street cred. Yeah, they most of the parents hit me up and they say, "Excuse me, can you please say the safe word?" <laughs> picking up this person. <laughs> change? Do you have change? Yeah. It's not the... <laughs> I do the same. Mate. My my son goes to a um, you know pretty decent school, and when I've got to go down and you know sign him out uh, from the, to go to appointments and stuff, I'm the same word. I go in there looking like shit. And you go into this nice foyer of this nice building. It's just wearing the daggy T-shirt with burnt holes and shit in it. But you know what? I pay the fucking tuition so they can get fucked. <laughs> so, mate, you missed, you missed out. At the intro, we, we gave you a bit of a bag and out. Sorry, mate. We shouldn't do that. Um, You're taking the, it back. The, the, You're taking it back. You're a week as piss. No, no, no I'm not taking it back. He's got to wait that. like a week to hear that. <laughs> what did, what did I miss, asshole? Him. What did you miss? Fuck, you tell us, man. What'd you miss? IT fucking IT tips of the week. How to fucking log onto your computer and get a camera working. 
Are you on the computer? Did you get your microphone on? No, he's on his phone. Is he? No, I'm, on the, I'm on the phone. I, <laughs> fucking Facebook doesn't recognize the camera. I can hear myself. I can, but it doesn't. We tried every fucking thing. I, I was like borderline smashed the fucking screen with the Well, the hammer. funny thing is, Bert, we could hear you the whole time. So we could hear you doing that. But anyway, yeah. we just found it funny. So anyway. Yeah. And we just tell the people we've... We, Started the podcast. Mert will be back with us soon because he's experiencing his fucking Groundhog Day IT issues. Can't connect. We refer to it in the industry when I used to work in the IT world was the ID10T error. Uh, what does that mean? Put it right well, down. Write a piece it, of paper. You need to write it down, and you'll understand. ID10T. He's looking. He's doing a pen. For, <laughs> just wait, customers. Everyone, everyone's scrambling for a pen. Don't, don't fucking worry, mate. I'll remind you. Anyway, you can mate. come back and replay no, that later. Mert, has uh, been talking about the Adelaide Knife Show. Um, new, How new did it go? Old. Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> new and old people won awards. It was very busy. Peter Ball oh, announced really? that he won't be doing the Knife Show any longer and that um, he's going to request that the Knife Art Association perhaps take on the event in Adelaide. So that'll go to the committee at some point in time and we'll, there was, we'll make a decision. There was a few, uh, a, few, uh, um, a few caveats to that. One of them was that he'd like to see it move from the Archibar because the show fills up 10 days after he releases the information for the show. So he, he turned away about as many people as what were what were there uh, missed out lots of disappointed people yeah. so he wants a bigger venue so if anyone knows a bigger venue in Radelaide, um let's know uh we want something classy and good uh, assuming we do take it on which the committee will as, we'll, as settle, Kev said. we'll settle good we'll settle for good um, it is adelaide yeah well. <laughs> <laughs> hey just say so all the adelaide people are getting pissed off with me right here right now I have family in Adelaide, so I'm very closely connected. Oh. I'm allowed to say that shit. They're all down there. They're all down there, just muttering under their breaths. At least we weren't settled by convicts. That's their usual, the usual thing. Oh, yeah. Adelaide's the only capital yeah. that wasn't settled by the uh, by convicts. So, yeah. Anyway, there you go. Fair enough. Um, and so yeah, so look, it's a pretty good show. Lots of knives sold. Uh, you know, lots of drinking, lots of fun. We went out to dinner on Saturday night. There was a couple of incidents that somehow I was involved in both of them. And um, as an end result, I was a bit soured uh, and headed back to the headed back to the hotel as soon as dinner was over, um, feeling a bit grumpy. And then, uh, <coughs> yeah, there was a um, a phone call from Pat to my other one of my other employees, Phil, saying, um, "Well, well, just to give everyone a bit of a bit of a bit of a basis on this." When we go to Adelaide, we hire uh, some rooms there that are for entertainment. One of them's uh, a loft room, so it's got a bedroom up the top of the loft and it's got an entertaining area down the bottom, like a large table and chairs. You've been there, you've been there Kev, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and some lounges and stuff. It's just nice. Everyone can stand up there. We, can, we bring eskies full of beer and drinks and everything, uh, get some pizzas from the room service, and it's just a pretty good... Um, Pretty good, pretty good place to chill out and not worry about all the noise and shit down in the bar. And uh, I got this phone call. Don't go to, don't go to that room. Um, well, Phil got the phone call. Don't go to that room. Come to our room first so we can explain. 
<laughs> right. Like it's, shit, it's shit from the get-go. I can explain. I can explain, right? So I've gone, fuck that. What have they done to me room? So I've gone up there, opened the door, and it's like cleaners all vacuuming up broken glass, and there's fucking food everywhere. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Um, the lady told me this story that sounded like something someone had made up and it frankly still does, but I wasn't there. So there's a, there's an old, so I don't like to name and shame, but, um, <clears throat> so I won't use his real name. Ivan was what he will call him. Well, uh, apparently <laughs> Ivan, 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 <laughs> we'll, we'll, Ivan Drago. We'll, we'll yeah. know, probably in the lap. So, yeah, so, so, um, yeah, so, uh, while we were down at the, um, down at the dinner, uh, they did, well, you know, a few uh, people decided to have a bit of a, bit of a laugh and spread some toilet paper all over the room and, um, mess yeah, it all up yeah. a bit so that when I walked in, they would be, uh, uh, I'd be upset or whatever. Uh, <laughs> but, um, then uh, apparently he was flinging his hands around in excitement over the ter- uh, terribly wonderful job he'd done of distributing toilet paper all over the room. When um, his ring flew off his finger, colliding with the uh, glass, um, you know, balustrade at the top of the uh, of the. Oh no album. way! And it apparently uh, from <laughs> from both the description and from what it looked like, it went off like a bomb. It wasn't a yeah. um, wasn't a laminated glass. It was that toughened stuff that explodes into tiny little pieces. Like yeah. the whole time we were there, following there was glass everywhere. So um, it was it was pretty funny. Uh, one of those memorable memorable events we'll be talking about for years to come. And and poor Ivan got a lot of the uh, uh, his rings very loose on his finger jokes. And maybe sausage man <laughs> maybe maybe consuming man sausage man sausage lubed his ring too much or. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that'll wow. go, that'll go on for years to come. It was hilarious, uh, total total freak accident, and um, uh, you know, the ring actually flew on, and I believe it collided with Jake Mantle right in the throat and uh, took him out as well. So shattered, <laughs> shattered his larynx. Yeah. <laughs> um, the ring was quite impressive. What impressive. Size ring I was going to say, what size ring is he wearing? Uh, it's tungsten ring. It's heavy, big, heavy hell. ring. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. whatever. I was, I was, um, <clears throat> I was already a little bit dour, <laughs> <Yes>. but I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we saw the funny side of it. We, uh, we went and partied in the next door room until they came and told us we weren't allowed to keep partying. And then we moved out of that room, went back to the original room, which we told we weren't allowed to be in. And we partied on until well after midnight. So it was a good night. Uh, <laughs> we, we consumed a fair amount of alcohol and. And went to bed, got up yeah. the next morning, and totally shady. Yeah, uh, kind of sounds kind of normal, really, except for the shattering glass. Yeah, yeah, uh, it was it was just one of those one of those nights where nothing seemed, the stars just didn't seem to align for me. But it was it was pretty funny. We had a great time having a laugh about it, and you know, taking the piss out of Ivan for the rest of the trip. So that was all good. And then on uh, yeah. on Sunday night, we went back there and. Um, we just chilled out with just a bunch of us chilled out. We had a really great time sharing tips and tricks. And yeah, that's what knife shows. That's really where the benefit of the knife shows come from. It's there's no point staying at a different hotel to everyone else. Cause it all happens after the event really, isn't it? It's 
Yeah. At Blade Show, it's down yes. in the pit, and at Adelaide, it's um, it's in the bar and upstairs afterwards. So, yeah, it's good, yeah. really good. That, that that's obviously something that we're going to have to consider for a venue in Adelaide. Is it's going to have to have um, like a decent enough accommodation nearby to to make sure everyone, you know, gets at the event, stays together. I know people. Uh, sometimes it's budget reasons that so people go, you know, I can't afford X dollars in that room, so I'm going to go up the road and stay up the road. Jeez, if you can make the sacrifice, I'm not saying do it, but if you can um, stay where the action is, it's always better. It's always better. A few years ago when I went there, the Arkabar was booked out and I had to stay literally 500 metres up the road. And, you know, you're sort of thinking, fuck, now I've got to walk up the road to the the motel. And you you sort of go, fuck, well, that's that over. Whereas if you know if you're still in the hotel, <laughs> you can get up to some shit. There's been some but fun nights. Been... Uh, I, won't mention, <laughs> I won't mention names, but there's been some fun nights at the Arca Bar with, uh, with certain very well-known social media um, proud uh, knife makers waking up in hallways in their underpants asleep. And... Yeah. Uh, You're not going to name any names, right? I'm not naming his name. And, you can. And... Uh... <laughs> At the um, Guild, um, Melbourne, uh, one night I was down there and I had the same thing. A couple of, you know, not to be mentioned, knife makers stayed a few doors up and we were taunting each other by text message about, you know, come down to the room, come down to the room, and they were like, come up to the room. And we knew some shit was going on. So I got a message from this fella. He's like, you know, Joe Bloggs has just passed out. You've got to come and see it. It's real funny. And I'm like, fuck, this is sus. There's no fucking way the other dude passed out. So I go out in the room and I creep up the corridor and I fucking look, turn my head around the fucking doorway and the bastard knife maker's got a big bottle of baby oil, <laughs> which he, like, as soon as he sees me head, he fucking squirts it at me. And I've done the Matrix. I'm fucking, whoa, leaning back. And this baby oil goes all over the corridor wall. So... I run back to the room pissing myself laughing and then just as I get into my room, this old couple have checked into the motel <laughs> and they walk into the corridor and there's the old knife maker that squirted oil standing in his jocks wiping the wall down <laughs> and this couple walk in and he just turns to him and he goes, good evening. <laughs> and doesn't flinch and they just walk past. <laughs> Want some lube? <laughs> so that uh, that that's the sort of shit that can happen. Even even this year up at um, Sydney, where we went across to Woolies and bought a couple of bottles of whiskey because they were going to close the fucking bar, and it was like, you know, we just sat around. What were there like ten or fifteen people left? We got up to you know, not not silliness, but silliness. But that just fucking adds to it, I reckon. Yeah, look, yeah. mate. So what happens at the knife yeah. show stays at the knife show, but. Yeah, Ivan will oh, go down. Oh, in, uh, Ivan will go down in, in in living history as the man with the loosest ring. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's going to go places. It really is. Anyway, <laughs> so um, yeah. yeah, the exhibition itself was was Arkabar all over. So if you haven't been there, it's just a big. Uh, well, it's not very big, but it's a reasonably sized round room. And they just basically have an inner circle and an outer circle of tables. Um, look, it's a, it's a it's a good little event, and it probably won't be little for much longer because you know if the KA do take it on, there'll be a lot of money spent on um, 
spent on it. Well, there were photos. Um, the Australian Knife Magazine posted up some photos on their Facebook page. Get along and give them a follow, subscribe to their magazine. Um, but they took some photos, and it looked like most tables had two people on them. There were a lot of shared tables with the show, yeah, true. which was really unusual. As many people in as they could, because well, yeah, yeah. So we just need I mean, a much better uh, venue. Mal, Mal um, from Otis Knives uh, said to me earlier on when I told him I wasn't coming, he said, "Oh, you can, you know, contact Peter and share my table." But I just had fucking no knives and a whole heap of shit going on, so it wasn't a reality for me anyway. But I haven't out, seen that. A shout out to uh, to Mal and Lee. Um, Mal's a farmer. Uh, Lee's his wife. Um, Lee's probably the worst person in the world to be a farmer. Um, <laughs> How many pet sheep do they have? <laughs> lovely, Lee. I think. I think when they had they were raising lambs for for meat. Uh, she she saved all she saved all her favourites for the uh, from slaughter. I think they ended up with about two hundred in the house paddock. And then um, uh, after that, they went to Woolies. And now when they collapse in the field and, you know, a normal farmer would walk up and shoot them, Lee gives them physiotherapy and gets them custom hay and race, spends six weeks nursing them back to health. And, you know, I said to, I said to Mal, geez, mate, she's saving you a fortune in, in sheep. You know, they're not cheap sheep, a couple of hundred bucks each. Mal goes, we don't come out in front. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, yeah. so um, no, but they're just beautiful people. So and and Mal has a great life, yeah. and he's probably been going to twenty seven Adelaide Night Shows. He's been around a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're good value. I really that's like I said, catching up knife shows. Half the thing for me for knife shows is just getting there and catching up with people. Yeah, well, more more than half of it. Most of the reason I go to knife shows myself is to catch up to people. You make your money back. Um, all's going well. If you make a few extra bucks on top of it, that's even better. But yeah, it's all, all social. That's good. So it sounded like a good show. Um, I said, bummed I missed it. I did see a, um, a little clip of Table having a bit of a dance. <laughs> Where's <laughs> that? that was kind of... I haven't looked at oh, like social shit. media. I don't know. I don't even know where I saw it, but he, he was looking three parts pissed, I've got to say. He had, oh, mate, he had the. Uh, I hope someone can send us that video. If anybody has the video of Tobol dancing, send us the video we'll share on our Instagram page. Uh, he was doing a slow dance with his, with his lovely wife. Oh, Inch, I thought it was a... Uh, seven-eighths. Oh, I, yeah. When you said he's, <laughs> yeah. he's drunk and he's nah, dancing. Nah, nah. Well, he might, have, like he might have later. He, he likes to get his groove on. I think oh, okay. I think he, from the times I've seen him dance in America, I think he likes a bit of line dancing too. I can <laughs> only imagine. I can only imagine. Uh, having known yeah. Tobal for this long and knowing that he's an ex-cop, I've always wondered what it would have been like to be pulled over by him speeding or something like that. Oh... If you got on his good side straight up, it would have been a fucking funny episode. It, if you didn't, you were fucked. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah. there's a bit, be a bit of that. I'd like to, uh, I'd like to have been a fly on the wall and seen that. But anyway, oh, hey now, little little fucking segue into police and all that sort of shit. Um, my young bloke had a what I refer to as a, a bludge day yesterday because he wasn't feeling well. Actually, rarely has a day off school, so he had a day off school. I had uh, Brad Heath go, come around to do a few things in the shop. And also had a, a good friend of mine, Jeff Lever, um, come by, um, say good day. He's not a knife maker, but he's done a few courses, and he's a really nice guy. Uh, our kids went to school together, or still do, but you know they, they're not so much socially friends anymore. But that happens. Anyway, we go to Jeff's car to grab a few things out. Come back up to my workshop. 
chatting away. And then uh, Brad leaves. And then my son comes out about, I don't know, a short time later anyway. And he's like, Dad, there's some people at the front that they've got Joey. And Joey's one of my dogs. I'm like, what the fuck? And he goes, there's some people at the front and they've got Joey. I go, fuck hell. So I walk out the side gate. There's the fucking ranger, like dog patrol fucking truck on my fucking driveway. And these two rangers at the front door, they go, I walk out and I'm like, can I help you? And they're like, you have a dog called Joey? And I'm like, yeah. They go, do you know where Joey is? And I'm like, well, should be in the backyard, but I'm assuming he's not. <laughs> and he fucking followed us out, the little fucker. Snuck outside when we went out to get this stuff out of the car. Went across to the neighbor's house, like literally just across the road. Just as this fucking ranger, we've gone in the backyard just as this ranger patrol happens to come down my street, see my fucking dog on the side of the road. Picks him up. They've scanned him, realized, oh shit, that's his house next door. Um, and then, you know, knocked on the door and asked my son if he knew where the dogs were and he had a look. And uh, yeah, they ended up being nice. It was actually a pretty good interaction. They could see I was generally fucking stressed because the dogs never get out of the yard. Um, yeah, then they went and opened up the door, opened up the door to the dog patrol. And um, you know, on Shrek, the cat that makes those real big sad cat eyes. That's what my fucking dog looked like. He's like, <laughs> I fucked up. He's like, I fucked up. Like, uh, so I just looked at these two rangers and go, well, what do we do now? What, you know, what, what, where do we go from from here? I'm thinking I'm going to cop with a big fine. And I just said. Ah, no, he's a, he's a nice dog. All these all these things catch up. So off you go. So I was like, fuck. Oh yeah. If that was me, they probably would have taken the dog and put him in the pound, and I wouldn't even know. So. Yeah, I think it was just because I was genuinely stressed out. I got big fucking gates, a color, two meter tall colorbond gates and everything. So it's not like the dogs get out and roam the streets. He just fucked up the little prick of a thing. Yeah. Anyway, that was just a little segue into part of my day yesterday. Oh, my, 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 my family is pushing for a dog. The kids are asking for it. Uh, when we lived in the U.S., at one point, we had four dogs. Like We always had two, but then we were up to four dogs at one point. And when we came to Australia, we, could, we realized we couldn't bring them. So, And we just never got one. And we've been thinking, oh, we should get one. I'll just wait till the kids get older. But now we are, they, they're really pushing to get one. I may end up with a dog in a week or two. Hey, you, you, know what, you want to do a trial? I'll send you up two bags of dog shit, <laughs> and you go, you go and you go and sprinkle them in the randomly sprinkle them in the yard, and tell the kids they've got to go and clean up the dog poo. And do that. They won't. See, see, they, see how they long won't. they do it for. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, they want the dog, but trust me, man, you're going to fucking clean the shit. You're going to do everything for it. You're going to walk. I'm, it. I'm I'm doing everything anyway. Like, I take the kids to school in every morning, and. I tell my daughter, like, you have to be able to get up early so you can help the dog or you can at least take care of yourself so while I'm dealing with the dog. She's like, yes, yes. Yeah. I know it's not going to be – I'm going to be doing every fucking thing per usual, so. Yeah, but you'll have the dog and you'll love the dog. Yeah, I was going to say, that's it. You'll have the dog. You'll have company during the day. You know, it's a good thing. Dogs are awesome. So, now, yeah, talking yesterday, Mert, about this, um, what breed of dog are you getting? I will be getting a dog uh, known as Kangal. It's an Anatolian shepherd dog. Kangal sounds like something I'd call you if I'm in a bad mood with you. Well, there's no dog. <laughs> there's no dog breeds known as Kang. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's they they get they get big and they're good they're good protective dogs. How big? Uh, sixty to eighty kilos. That's a dog. They're all right around yeah. the kids. Yeah, they're very good with the kids. They're and they're used against the, they're like sheep dogs, but they don't hurt them. They just stay along with the flock, and if any wolves come in, and they go protect them. So they're great with the kids. Very, very. Uh, they have a lot of patience for the kids. Like pay, kids can come out, like just pull their ears in the face, and they'll be fine. But if somebody else comes from outside, they'll show what's up. They'll fuck awesome, up. Awesome. Fuck awesome. So next time. Next time Mert has a hammer and we're all going to be hanging out in the front of his house worried about this 80-kilo dog trying to tear our fucking legs off. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Tie some sausages around our necks. Uh, actually likes oh, it. Probably he'll go for the sausage man first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What sort of dogs uh, are yours, Kev? I've got a um, Whippet Kelpie Cross. And then we've got the other ones. Uh, we think he's a spaniel cross because he's big and furry. Looks like a bear. He was a rescue from the RSPCA many years ago. Poor old buggers, deaf and arthritic, and probably you know he's over twelve years old. So he, we're just sort of nursing him through now. He's a funny dog, though. Sounds like you, Kev. But the other one, Joey, still thinks he's a pup. Still looks like a pup. Um, and like I said, he's cheeky. He steals shit out of the house. Um, when we first got him, we had a dog door in the we've got a dog door in the backyard, uh, back laundry. It's not very big, and the fucking dog managed to get like dog beds, pillows, fucking big toys out of my son's room. Out, he comes inside. We've got a, a closed fucking um, recycle bin. We go outside, and he's got a little den up in the top under these trees. And we go out there, and he's got like all the old meat, plastic meat containers and shit that he steals out of the fucking thing. You leave anything out and it's gone. My wife asked me something like, oh, where did you put the um, the bread that I bought? And I was like, oh, I think I put it in the cupboard. And she's going, no, it's not in there. So I was like, oh, fuck. Up Go up the to tree. the top yard. Yeah, up under the tree, there's a half-eaten loaf of bread. Nice. A happy-looking dog. Nice. Little bastard. Yeah, we... Um, so it didn't surprise me. We got a like a little schnauzer thing and um, a... Uh, like a border collie, but the, the collie border collies. Um, she was a rescue dog, nine years old. Someone left her at the pound, so we went and picked her up. She's a great dog. I don't know who yeah, does she's it. Nice. Who has she's a dog for nine years and then takes ah. it to the pound that surrenders it? So I, yeah, I never weird. met the people. Maybe they, maybe there's a there's a story. Maybe someone died. Uh, I actually know for a fact that that didn't happen now. But um, yeah, I, I don't understand it. Yeah. Nah, me neither, mate. But that'd be good. Good for me. Get some company in the workshop. Someone to snip your balls. <laughs> I'll put a little GM face mask on him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> this could go this could go really bad, so we'll just move on from there. Let's get the dog my that's old good. Dog, I had a shepherd and she was a great workshop dog. She used to sit at your feet. Um, actually she'd lie between the forge and the anvil, so you had to step over her to get to the anvil. So nah, she was a good dog. Yeah. My older dog, now that he's deaf, actually comes into the workshop and sits down in there. Yep. Previously, and any noise previously, he'd just, like, run out. Now he actually sits down in there while I'm doing stuff, which is pretty cool. They're good company. Yeah. I uh, love, yeah. love the dogs. Love the dogs. So what are, what are you um, what are you working on at the moment, Murdo? Mate, I've done a bunch of forging. So I was I ran a course uh, last Thursday and Friday. 
I had a, uh, I had a gentleman here, Mark Stewart. So we did some forging and I forged some blades along with him. And now I'm just going to be grinding all of them. I have 12 blades to be ground. Love yeah, right. Bases. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I got my, I got my blades. I'll be going through them in no time. Northern abrasives are the best belts I've ever fucking used in my fucking life. Those things are fucking great. You just got to turn up your fucking grind at the fullest fucking speed, get the most out of them. Nothing like fucking good quality equipment. And fucking Norton Blaze are the fucking best. Norton Blaze. Abrasive by name, abrasive by nature. Get your Norton Braze belts using our discount code down under 10 at Gamaco Artisan Supplies. Thank you. The, um, no, the blaze is good. <laughs> There's a little plug for the sponsor. <laughs> um, I'm doing, I've been doing a bit of blacksmithing. I had a couple of friends come down and we made some fire pokers, did a bit of a pineapple twist and, um, taught them some, some things that two ladies, they've just recently, um, my friend from high school and her daughter and, um, basically, uh, the daughter's father, the, um, my friend's ex-husband just passed away just recently, so her daughter's really keen to get into blacksmithing. So, yeah, just come down and have a go, and um, made a um, made a great fire poker each, so they can have sword fights at home now. And um, <laughs> apparently, the fire poker was like the most dangerous item that killed more people in the um, turn of the last century, sort of thing, than um, any uh, anything else. You know, when fire pokers were in every house, it was the weapon of choice. It wasn't knives yeah, right. or guns. I've got to, I've got to make one of those because I've, I've put my new pizza oven into place a couple of weeks ago, and uh, yeah, I don't have a fire poker, so it gets a bit fucking tough throwing that fucking gidgey in there. Need a fire poker to stoke it up. Yeah, yeah. I upset a few people. I've upset a few people because I got me bucket of scraps, which some people might use, some might not. But I just throw it. I'm throwing in fucking gidgey. Myrtle Burl, <laughs> whatever's got cracks that are too big to fill and all the rest of it. For me, anyway, like I couldn't be asked doing um, resin casting and all that shit. I've got too much else on. So, yeah, I had a nice hot fire going with some um, some Gigi and whatnot. The devastating thing was when I went in there the next day and opened up the firebox to pull the ash out, there's this chunk sitting in there. And I'm like, fuck, what's that? It didn't burn. And I reach in and somewhere along the way, a nice piece of my mammoth ivory fell into my scrap box. Oh, you dickhead. <laughs> then I threw it into the fire and it's fucked. <laughs> I just pulled it out and I'm like, oh, no point crying over that. <laughs> it's like a $100 chunk of mammoth ivory just fucking gone. Can, can you stabilize it and do it as I'm uh, thinking about that's what I'm, fossilized charred ivory or something? I'm thinking about <laughs> stabilized ash. Yeah. I'm, try, I'm going to try and resin cast that piece and see how it comes out for shits and giggles. But, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it was like, oh, well, fuck that. Everything's got a story, mate. Everything's got a story. <laughs> yeah. Sitting there laughing about, suck out all these people who see this. I'm throwing fucking timber in here. Nah, mammoth ivory, fuckers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've got um, I've got a few knives on the go. Uh, just finished up a nice little skinner for um, a fella up towards the Hunter region myself. Um, Butler's Butler's epoxy he goes under. He does the epoxy flooring and whatnot. Oh. So he came to the Sydney show and wanted a little knife of mine. Hesitated, whatever reason, forget what it was on the time, but it sold. Uh, and then I offered to make him another one, you know, for the same same price. Ended up being a little bit bigger, 
than the the previous one, which he was he agreed to. And I chucked a really nice piece of um, um, dyed stabilized maple burl on there. So I was actually really happy with that one. So that looked like a buckeye burr. That yeah, almost looked like actually, a buckeye yeah, burr. You know, actually, you know what? It was. I've got it wrong. That was buckeye burr. Yeah. So um, yeah, he's stoked because it. I I said to him, look, it's. I think it's it's a nicer knife in terms of overall sort of package. He's getting better value for, for what he got there. Also doing a carving set, I just posted up the, the hand-sanded version of this carving set um, that's going to have a fairly sort of rustic look to it. And then I've got – then I went into my drawer because I've, I've got limited time in my workshop for the next couple of months. Um, and we've got Canberra Show coming up in, you know, three weeks' time, first Sunday in uh, December at Cup of Come Along. Um, so I went into my drawer of half-done knives and actually found about five or six knives that have been sanded. I've got no reason, no idea why I had them in the drawer, but it was magic. Pulled out sort of six to eight knives of different shapes and sizes that I just have to hand-sand and start guards for now. So my camera show tables, it might have five knives on it this time around. That'll be awesome, mate. Yeah. yeah Canberra's good. a good show. Yeah, it's a good day out. It, it's conflicting with uh, one of the other markets on the other side of town this year. I think it always does. So hopefully we get some good weather. Canberra weather at the moment is typical spring in Canberra. You know, sweat your ass off Friday with 30 plus degrees. And then this coming Friday, it's forecast for about 13. So it's just oh, like, fuck, can't, can't catch a break. Yeah, it's good in a way. The weekend's going to be cooler and I'm teaching a class. So I love it because so far every Saturday it's been cooler which means when we're forging, we're not sweating our buddy uh, um, butts off in the workshop. You know, I may do the Canberra show, Cam. I wasn't going to, but I'm, I'm thinking about it. Sorry I'm so yeah. distracted here, guys. I just um, I drove all day yesterday. I left. We left at 4 a.m. and got home at about 8 o'clock at night in the truck um, yeah. from Adelaide. And I was just flicking through my phone, and I just found a picture I don't remember taking, and it's uh, Dominic Binkett uh, passed out on the stairs. And covered in beer cans at Adelaide. So, hey, Dom. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get that one up on Instagram. The, uh, I was going to ask what happened to the obligatory passed out shot, but that was normally Dave. Yeah, Dave, Dave wasn't there this year, but young Dom, you know, he's, so uh, he uh, stepped up to the mark. Yeah, he, he stepped up, stepped up to the plate uh, for everyone's benefit. I'll get that one up on good Instagram on you, now. <laughs> yeah, good on you, Dom. Hey. Hashtag pisshead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the shit I miss about Adelaide show. That's funny. Uh, nah, it's a, it's hey, so Matt, 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 on your, yeah, on your, on your classes, and when we came up for your hammering, yeah. um, we noticed that you have a, a bit of a, a, a tendency or a like of doing sand my steel. Um, yes, I do. Had a, had, a, had a few people sort of question the processes and stuff with that, and I reckon that your um, probably the person that's more qualified than any one of us three for sand mice. So give us a rundown on um, what you like to do. So sand mice originating the word from three piece in Chinese. So what you do is, it's not just in China. Anywhere in the history, ancient people didn't have the access to the good steel. So I end up using a coarse steel that is hardenable and usually lower quality or lower hardened cheeks on the other side. Okay. So why I like to do semi is, semi is more forgiving, okay? If you quench a monosteel, if it comes bent, 
you have a lot of hard time straightening it. Semi, if it gets bent, you just bend it back. That's it. And grinding of semi is easier because the outer side is usually, not always, usually softer steel. It grinds out a lot easier, okay? So those are the benefits of semi, but also has drawbacks as well because, as I said, if you bend the semi or if you don't realize it picked up a bend when you're grinding it and you keep trying to correct it by grinding, it just goes, it just goes twists or it gets bent all the time. So you have to be careful grinding it. So what to do when you're doing semi is you have to find steels that have a similar rate of expansion, okay? So there's no point using a steel, for example, let's say you're using a stainless steel for your cladding, okay? Four series. And you can use carbon steel for your core. But if you want to do a different sort of semi, you have to find steels that are going to move the same ratio. For example, mild steel and 52-100, they have a really bad extent, they have a really different rate of expansion. So if you do a mild steel and 52-100, your semi is going to weld, you're going to quench it, it's going to look nice, but then slowly it's going to start ripping it apart. Because they have a different yeah. expansion. Yeah, raw iron and 52-100 is great or uh, mild steel and your shallow hardening steels, they work great, okay? But if you use steels, they don't get along, they're not gonna work great. And also I see some semi, people are making like, oh, I made a semi, 10, 15, 10, 15 and 20 and 1084 or like, I'm thinking, what's the point of that? You're not getting any benefit of the semi, although it might look like a, you have a lamination line, that might look cool, but you basically have a three-layer pattern welded steel. It's no easier to grind because the cladding is hard. And also, straightening is going to be bitch because they are both hardened. Yeah. So what I like to use, if I'm doing a carbon, if I'm doing a carbon, I like to use the lower, uh, lower hardness cladding. But if I'm doing a stainless semi, I like to use four series, 410, 416, or 420 grade for my carbon to stay in the semi. <clears throat> what um, what ratio do you do your thickness of the steel? So say if you've got a half inch uh, outer, how thick do you have your core? It's usually 30% core. I like to allocate 30% core, okay? So what happens is by the time you start forging, the outer side gets more compressed than the inside. So if you start, yeah. if you start, let's say, uh, maybe 30, if you start like a, uh, let me do the math real quick, 35 on the outer sides and 20, by the time you do the forging, your core is going to be too thin. So you have to make sure the ratio as in like 30% your core and combine 70% with your cheeks with your outer layer. You can put a nickel in it, a nickel between the layers, so you want to eliminate the carbon migration, but I don't mind carbon migration, but also I don't forge it for too long, so the carbon doesn't migrate as much. So when you look yeah. at the ones I do, you can see a little bit of carbon migration, but not a whole lot. Um, do you, uh, how do you prep your steel? So what I like to do is, once I get the steel the desired thickness, I make sure all of my steel is uh, ground and there's no force scale whatsoever left and it's a flat surface. If I was to do a stainless semi, I have to take it to a higher finish and I have to make sure it's perfectly clean, 
But if I'm doing a carbon semi, I can just skip that step. It can be covered in WD-40. It's going to weld okay. But if I'm doing stainless semi, it has to be spotless because stainless semi is trickier to do, and you have to you have to weld the seam around it so no air gets in. But if I'm doing mild steel to a high carbon semi, I usually just go on my flat platen, just grind it a little bit off, and make sure there's no force scale left. Tack weld on the tip and at the end, and going the heat flux bam 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 yeah nice so you're just and using you a, saw, um you're using a gasless mig for your stainless stuff aren't you yeah i i have the gas it's just i haven't filled it for a while so you have to make sure <laughs> so you're using a gasless it's, mig it's <laughs> it's technically a gasless mig now <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't, I haven't done much stainless to carbon lately, but yeah, I done a lot of the carbon to carbon. Yeah, yeah that's what I. So you got to make sure that you you weld the seam and no air gets in. The yeah. second it gets air in it, pops off. Yeah, right. I did some. Yeah, that's, that's... Uh, I did some stainless sand my uh, over at Bill Burke's place last year. So if we saw that round. Yeah, we forged. I've actually got a couple of knives on the go with it now, but they're slowly coming together. But it was uh, yeah, four one six outer with the with a nickel shim, and I think a fifty two one hundred core and um, stink Mark Sinclair. He did the welding on the billets. We forged round bar down at the four one six, and then mm -hmm. cleaned that up and, and stuck it onto the other stuff. And yeah, Mark Sinclair did a really good job, welded it all up nice and clean, and then yeah, pretty much like I said. When you think it's hot enough, leave it a little bit longer. Yeah. And then and then give it a fucking firm beating or a squishing. And and then thankfully, you know, at Bill's place, he's so lucky. G'day, Bill, if you're listening. I don't know if you do, but um, shout out to you, mate. I hope to see you shortly. Um, Bill's got, and same with Bruce Barnett, they've both got this fucking monstrous um, hydraulic fucking rolling mill. The thing is yeah, fucking it's a, it's, a it's actually, when, when I was over there, they were saying how Unky Keith, um, was a little bit intimidated by this piece of machinery. I'm like, oh, yeah, fucking Keithy, uh, fucking funny, ha, ha, ha. First bit of my steel went in there and I fucking nearly shit myself. It fucking well, takes that. It takes that steel and it sucks it in there. And if you don't fucking watch what you're doing, your fucking whole body's going to go through with it. Mate, mine turned into a fucking ring. You know, like how strong <laughs> was Bill was like, just go easy because I've done a, I've oh, done yeah. a course with i done a semi course with Bill like five, four or five years ago, and he was saying just yeah. go easy. And I just pressed, and I, it wasn't as easy as I thought I was going to. And the whole Bill had fucking rolled around and turned into a ring. Oh, and yeah. Bill, yeah. And yeah, Bill is looking like, what the fuck you done? <laughs> the Shout out to Bill. The funny thing with that machine is you're using a little lever to do the speed control. Yeah. But if you put it in and you got that lever and you just, as you get nervous, you have a tendency to push harder on the lever, which makes it go faster. And that yeah. thing just, yeah, fuck, man, it sucks that bit of steel in there. And you're like, oh, holy shit. Uh, yeah, oh, having, having all of that tool helps. But if anybody wants to get in the semi, I recommend everybody to do with the carbon to carbon before they switch on to doing the stainless. Because as you said, stainless yeah. is not stainless is not forgiving at all. And also yeah. making the billet is not that hard. Also, if you need to say like make the billet as is and do stock removal, depending on thickness, you might. But if your billet is thick and if you start grinding, you're going to expose shit lot of core. 
Also, yeah. forging the semi is a trick as well. So you need you cannot just be like bashing. You have to have a plan. If you pull out the heat, if you if you forging bevels on the right side, you have to hit equal amounts. Like you cannot say like let me hit eight eight times on the right side and flip it. Then you hit ten times. Your core is starting to slowly shift. So you have to be careful. You cannot just bash it. You have to have a plan. If you're forging the bevels on the right side, yeah, that's fine. But make sure you go all the way around. Don't hit unevenly. Because otherwise, yeah. by the time you start grinding, you see all the core shoving at like the uh, cladding shoving at the edge or core comes all the way up to the spine. Sausage, yeah, sausage man. The... Sausage man brought a piece of the steel he made at your joint to my place. Yeah. A few weeks a few weeks ago and he he forgot about that. And it was only after I forged a little knife out afterwards, and I'm saying, yeah, you got to make sure you do even hits on both sides just so you keep the, the core aligned. And he's like, oh, yeah, okay. And then when we ground it, yeah, we found real trouble getting one side exposed and a lot off the other side. So um, it's, that's a good tip for people, I reckon. Um, yeah, so um, one of the things I've seen on... Uh, a couple of the groups on Facebook lately, um, which just, I don't know, it's one of those things that just it kind of makes me shake my head. But, you know, a lot of these groups are beginner groups, so people don't really, I guess, get the full gist of what they're doing. But um, seeing a lot of people query, like, say, the high carbon steels, 1075, 1084, these things are coming up from people and they're like, Oh, I just finished this knife and this is the first time I've used it. And the thing's covered in patina, as you would expect. And like, yeah. how do I stop this from happening? And it's like, don't use that steel. <laughs> and and it, it, that's, I haven't, I don't answer. I try not to answer because I'll get in the shit by giving a straightforward answer. It always happens. But that's what it comes down to. Like people are using steels, getting a finished product, and then questioning the properties of the steel. And it's like, do a bit of, do Take your time and ask a question before you make something. If you if you're concerned about it and you want to do a, a knife that has minimal corrosion or, or maximum corrosion resistance, ask the questions first and then get an informed answer and then go and make it. Don't you know, 1075, 1084, they're fucking great steals, but they're gonna patina. They're gonna they're gonna get dirty with use. And that, you know, you either love it or you hate it. I personally love that sort of look of the knife. Um most of my knives in my kitchen I've made myself, and I love the fact that they've all got, you know, rainbow swells of colour and black patina over them because I've used that knife, and that's a telltale sign of it. But it just strikes me as funny that these people make these knives, or there's people making these knives, getting to the end and not even realising what the steel properties are going to do, what they're going to give them. So you need to, you probably need to ask the questions beforehand. And one of the other things that you know, Merck gave the answer on this uh, a few weeks back in the podcast. Here's the sum total of stainless steels that you should heat treat in a forge. That's right, zero. Send, send it off, get it heat treated properly or have a friend who's got a kiln if they've got the time, get them to do it. Uh, yeah, you can, you can do it with certain steels in a forge, but there's the difference between can and should. Uh, and what you do being the best outcome for that steel. Um, one of the questions asked on the thing was, you know, one of these threads was something like, oh, how much, what's the cost of sending it to a heat treater? And um, 
I think I did give a cheeky answer, something like, you know, the cost is getting your steel back as it's meant to be heat treated. You know, you're getting it back from back from a professional company that know what they're doing. So yes, you get uh, a reliable bit of steel. You know, my beginner tip, I'm just going to throw mine in real quick, but it's relevant, is go to knife shows. Because it's yeah. at knife shows, and I'll come back to it, but it's at the knife show this weekend. I found out there's a company in Sydney called RJ Heat Treating that's doing $10 a stainless blade, including cryo. Yeah. And they do it once a week. That's great. You drop it in and get them done. $10. Like, he can do a lot That's of blades before, and they'll be done right, you know. I'm, I'm hearing very good things about them. I can't recommend anyone, but I heard very good things about them. So my beginner tip is go to knife shows, just even just to talk to people, but better still get a table um, and, and sit down in front of everybody and get feedback and, and listen to the feedback. And don't be offended by the feedback because... Just don't be offended by the feedback. People are going to tell you what they think, and you can sift through it and do what you like, but you should listen because <laughs> yeah. that's what the cu- yeah. they're, they're both customers and peers that are going to give you that feedback. So it's a reality check for a lot of people because what mm-hmm. you when you put your pictures with the filters and or versus people seeing them in, a per- in person and you see like they don't look up the part or then it tells you okay you have to work harder it might be it might be hard to take but it's it's the reality yeah and that's the thing with yeah uh, that's exactly right that's the thing with the knife shows like you, you you're there face to face with people and you can actually pick up and mm-hmm. they can pick up and see your knife properly not the nice photo that you took that made it to social media but the real actual knife with all its flaws and um yeah look there's there's a lot to be said for it it's the networking and the, the feedback and just a general thing so um i would say it's worth the money to do a knife show when you've got enough knives done that you can put you know five or six get yourself a half table if you do more so much the merrier and um and give it a go give it a go yeah for sure a lot of collectors so, yeah. don't buy online a lot of there's a lot of collectors that only buy at knife shows yeah because like you said you get a chance to walk around and see what the actual knife looks like it's really easy to do sky shit on online really easy to filter out mistakes. And I'd say to one person that posted up a photo, man, if I can see a big scratch on your filtered photo, then that thing must be fucking deep. Like it must be like the Grand Canyon knife or something, tribute to the Grand Canyon, because <clears throat> it's got a massive gouge out of it. And you're like, just take fucking five minutes longer. Look at it before you, you know, just got to be self-critical. Look at these things. If you see a scratch, if you see it, I guarantee you, 98% of other people are going to see it. Absolutely. The ones that won't see it, they're probably going to let their do- their seeing eye dog have a look and it'll see it. And and you know, yeah. that doesn't just because you've got uh, you've got flaws on your knives, it doesn't mean your knives won't sell. That you know, your knives <laughs> will come in at a different price point. So there'll be people that will come in and say um, buy a beginner's knife. A, to give you a bit of support, but B, because they like it and C, because you're probably a third of the price of a of one of the guys doing the um, really high-end stuff. So it's something they can actually afford to spend some money on. So that's yeah. another way to look at it. So well, no, I've seen some Adelaide, Adelaide show was my first one, and I was shitting myself about going there because I was a new maker. And I didn't have I didn't have the flaws on the knife, uh, like big scratches and stuff, but in hindsight, I look back at what I considered to be a really cool knife design and flow. Um, my, my style's changed a lot from then 
but yeah, I was selling a uh, selling a knife with a sheath for 150 and less normally, just just as that introduction, mm-hmm. and then you you get the feedback from people. I had I had guys coming up to my table, other makers at that first show, pick up a knife and go, um, you know, point out something that they saw straight away as a flaw or a design element that they might have needed changing, and they just go, oh, have you considered this? And then when you get a second set of eyes on it, you either go, you either get butt hurt and go, fuck off, I don't want to change, or you make that change and, and improve as you go through. So you don't have to do everything that people tell you. You know, no one person in knife making history is exactly right about what goes on. Um, put put your own perspective into it, but you've got to at least listen to the advice and dissect it a little bit. On the subject of design, um, you know, listen to what people say, take it on board, but don't be afraid to do your own thing, whatever other makers say. If your knives are selling and they're unique, don't worry about what anyone says. If they're not selling, probably time to listen. (laughs) Yeah, it could be. Yeah, that's it. If you've got, you know, 40 knives sitting in a drawer (laughs) and you've got 30 friends to give them to. (laughs) You've probably got a problem. It's, it's great to see like uh, great makers work and then you, you realize, okay, there's levels to this. And I saw, I saw a young maker last, last year. He was, I think he had a table right behind Sean McIntyre or something. He was upset. I'm like, bro, you've been making nice for two years. He's a master smith. He's one of the few in the world. Don't be comparing yourself and take tips. Ask him how to do things. Ask him to criticize your work and trying to get some pointers, but... Also, don't be like, don't be feeling bad about yourself. Like you're saying, Kevin, your knives are great, but you were among your table in the blade shop. Right next to you was like a Cass Brothers, Dominique, uh, uh, Veronique Laurent, or something behind you. Oh shit, yeah. yeah, yeah. For me, like for me, like I said, you know, I, I'm I'm probably happy, the happiest I've been with my knives where they are now in terms of um, you know that overall finish and fit and finish and stuff. And that's because I've been pressed by a few of my, you know, peers in that at that level um, to, you know, do some changes. But when I was at Blade Show, my knives on the table, you know, were well and truly outclassed by what was around them because of the fact that I was. You the master- style also. I was in the Master Smith area with, like, last year when I went there, I had Sofredo across from me <laughs> with two two knives that were worth more than thirty five thousand dollars US, and I had a table of knives like 10 knives that were probably worth 3,000 US, you know, and you you can't look at that shit and get upset because that, some of those guys are freakishly talented or they've been working their asses off for 20 years getting that, that level. But the nice thing was when I had those guys come across, uh, a number of the people from the US that at that Master Smith level come across and said, yeah, man, your knives are really nice. They're really clean. Keep going. Here's a tip for you. I got some style pointers last year that, um, you know, more than a couple of Mastersmiths said the same design tip, uh, a very subtle one. They came over and said, oh, consider this as a, as a change. And I thought, well, I've got three of these guys saying the same thing. It, it, I'll take that on board and I'll go home and I'll make a bit of a change. And I did it on one finish, took the, took the deep breath, did it on one finished knife. I went, yeah, actually, you know what? I kind of like that. Yeah. And I've done, I've done it. And people recognised it. They said, oh, your style's changed a little bit since you got back from Blade Show. What happened? And I said, oh, 
I had, I had a bunch of fucking mastersmiths look at my knives and tell me what they thought was, you know, wrong with, not, well, wrong, but not wrong, you know, like where to make a change. Could be improved, could be improved. Could be improved, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, my goal obviously is to get the journeyman smith started uh, or, or level there. So you, you're listening to these guys and that's their territory. You know, you don't, don't tell them to fuck off and suck eggs. Although a couple of them did say that, they say, "Look, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you the thing, and you can tell me to fuck off if you want to, but um, they're going to tell you anyway." Um, so no, it's good. Like I said, listen, listen, take it on board. Follow the people that you like their style. Um, follow the people that you like are doing their work. Um, you know, in terms of contacting people on social media, um, it can be a, potentially be an intimidating step for people to, um, you know, do a shout out, talk to someone. Um, you know, step out of your comfort zone and get in touch with someone and most people will respond to you. Whether they respond to you and say, I don't have time to talk to you, you know, you might get that. Or if, you know, you get contact from someone and it's, um, you get good feedback, then, you know, you can start up some pretty good friendships that way too. Yeah, that's it. That's it. A lot of guys are more, um, more helpful uh, off the uh, off the main pages like Facebook pages because you get guys like I don't know let's say Keith Flutter Keith Flutter gives somebody a tip on the main page and then some deal who no one's ever heard of who knows shit about knife making tells him he's an <laughs> idiot and then like it just falls apart so you're better off sometimes just having the conversations in private they're much more helpful they're just sick of trying to help yeah. people on the public forum and dealing with assholes yeah. and all the rest of it Exactly. Ask calls. Yeah. Just make sure. Just make sure that when you do contact someone, you know, present them with a, a well thought out question for the start. So don't just hit them up with random shit. Do that later. I mean, that's all. That's all. I flood the likes of Mert and Mareko um, and Jeff Fader, those guys um, that I do talk with now. I don't think I ever send them anything sensible. I just send them shit. Most time it's a drunken, drunken, the old classic drunken DM where you send them something stupid when you're half pissed. They're funny. They always come back to bite you. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> now we know it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Too many times, but I never I got the, speaking of DM, speaking of DM, I just got an interesting DM for one of the, I'm hoping he's a listener of the podcast. Uh, he started off the question a little bit wrong. He was like, First, he said, hey, cuties, I have something going on for you. And first, I, I said, okay, Mer- okay, mate, this is, first of all, I think you're listening to the wrong podcast. <laughs> we don't refer us to cuties. And second, if you're lo- listening to our podcast and you know who you are, we are nowhere fucking near being cute. So, but his point, <laughs> this young maker from Netherlands was talking about asking a questions about the sites and if anybody was aware of the using the endangered timber or other uh, animal byproducts in the sites list. So for those who don't know, sites is an agreement uh, between the governments making sure we don't consume or we don't use the endangered uh, timbers or animals anymore. Okay. It's spelled spelled C-I-T-E-S, correct? Is that correct? Yes, correct. It is correct. So with the sites, uh, some of the timbers been on the ban list. Some of the animal products, they've been banned. Okay. Uh, recently, it's been, been overturned, but elephant ivory is one of them. So elephant ivory was a no-go. 
you could you could find a pre-banned elephant ivory or and but it just gets too complicated. How are you going to prove that it's pre-banned? Okay. Now recently, what happened was with the sites. The reason that we're talking about it, a lot of the I think except one or two subspecies of all Dalbergia, all the rosewood species including African blackwood, including Honduras rosewood, Indian rosewood, um, cocobolo. They've been all put under the sites list, which means that they cannot be imported. But so the, the, but the trouble comes from here. So let's say I can, I see a good handle block being sold, okay? It's in US, I cannot buy it. That handle block can be sold within US, but they cannot ship it internationally. Same thing with the stuff that's available in Australia. I can buy legally and sell the stuff that I bought, but I cannot sell it internationally. So while the site looks like it's trying to fix this trade and it's, it's trying to stop the endangered species, I don't think the knife makers are the reason. And I don't think that if you look at the amount of timber is being used for the furniture market, by the time it oh, com yeah. comes to knife maker, we, we, we're not the reason, we're not the threat. If you see like all of these woodworking or the wood uh, wood vendors you see on Instagram, they're selling meters and meters long of cocobolo with very reasonable prices. And But I cannot buy them. I can yeah. get them shipped to US. Somebody from US can buy them and still use them. But the second you're trying to buy international, like the sites is like, no, 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 you cannot do this. You're trying to kill the endangered timbers. Yeah. It's a, I, I think it's a slippery slope. And a friend, of, for example, you're talking about the ivory and things, okay? So I'm against the trophy hunting, all of that. But I have African friends, okay? These are, they're saying before the ban, they had to, that like a quota of saying, okay, this year we're only allowing this many elephants to being killed because to be able to support the numbers of the in the area they're going to have to be killed anyway okay the hunters come in or they hunt it and or the they're legally selling the the skin of the animal and the farmers or the all the villagers eat the meat now after the ban what he's saying what happened was now there's a ban okay they cannot sell the products they have to kill the animals because they can only the area can only support 20 bull for example or 20 elephants they have to kill it and they have to burn it but yeah. still there's going to be black market demand for it so you're not you're not you're not cutting the demand out so what do you guys think about that uh, well, look i've got pretty strong feelings on it mate um first of all like i love elephants and i love giraffes and i love all those animals and i think from sitting in my seat in cushy australia i say save the elephants however the reality is these countries don't have a lot of money. And I'm a realist. If you want to save something, you've got to put a value on it. You've got to put a value on it. And saying, oh, it's valuable just as an animal that we can look at. Sorry, we're humans. We've got far more greed than that. If you say the ivory is worth money, we can breed these elephants and farm them and create ivory then people will actively try and save them. And that's that's what's happening with the giraffe bone and things like that, where in uh, South Africa, for example, I, I can't understand why anyone would want to hunt a giraffe, but Americans and other Australians, heaps of people pay something like twenty to $30,000 to be allowed 
to go over to a farm in, a, in Africa and shoot a giraffe. And in doing so, they put meat on the table of the, of the communities. They, they put money into the economy. The giraffes have a value. So do you think anybody strings up wire between trees to kill the giraffes for bushmeat in these areas? No, because there's people there that stop the poaching of the animals. And the, those people, instead of trying to hunt these animals for food so they can eat something, are spending their, are spending their time um, in this, this tourism. Now, I'm not saying it's done perfectly, and I'm, I'm no doubt it can be done better. But my realistic opinion is, if you want to save something, if you want to make it worthwhile, you've got to put a value on it. And if people are willing to spend the money, then then humans will save it. So there's a there's a documentary out there by um, Louis Thoreau. I'm not sure if you guys have seen it. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, Louis Thoreau did it. And Louis goes into all sorts of different places uh, with the underlying pretext of normally to um, to do a bit of a piss take and to hold up a mirror of how stupid something is. But even he was shocked and surprised as he went to these places where they were orchards. 20 years ago, they were orchards and they were farming cattle, and now they've been returned to native bush and they're running herds of native animals in Africa instead of those farms because it's more valuable. Yeah. So, so I've just, I say put a value on it, and if, if by, by to make... Um, if they make hunting legal and ivory trade legal and can maintain um, the, you know, the population by breeding and by farming, because we're humans, we farm things. That's what we do. Um, if we can do that, then I don't. I, I personally don't have an issue with it because it will save the species. Cows aren't going to go extinct, are they? Why are cows not going to go extinct? You know. Because we, we need them. It's never going to happen, <laughs> right? Scotch fillets, Scotch fillets, 30 bucks a kilo. And I've heard <laughs> elephants pretty tasty. I've never done it, right? Now, I'm not saying they're not a beautiful yeah. animal, but if you talk to an Indian person about cows, right, they got the same opinion about killing cows as we do about killing elephants. Do we care? Well, you know, realistically, probably most people don't care what an Indian thinks about us eating beef. But to an Indian, it's highly important, and it's the same. It's exactly the same. Honestly, um, we're we're a fucked species. That's anyway, yeah. whatever. It is how it is. If you want to save them, put a value on them. The I think thing is, the, down the to... black market, black market is going to exist. And if you wanna, if you want to like anything like the crime, if you want to control it, you make things legal or you make things like controlled. Exactly. So few years ago, few years ago in US, I think in New York or someplace, they confiscated a lot of elephant tusks. Okay. And just to show how woke they were, they burnt the elephant tusks. So, dear fuckheads, okay, you burnt these elephant tusks. What's doing that? It's putting more pressure because now all of a sudden there's that much tusk in the market is missing. Now they're going to hunt even more. And the value of the yeah. tusks goes up. So, so there's more more uh, incentive for people to go and illegally kill these animals, to to because the tusk is now worth instead of. Five thousand dollars is worth thirty thousand dollars because you burned all the stock that was in the market. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not promoting saying like go in Africa fucking kill an elephant, but there are areas that I know from a true friend of mine, they have to kill elephants because it's too many for the area. They the area cannot support it. Okay, so what they're doing is now instead of like a few years ago where they were bringing tourists and using that money for the area for the schools and things like that, now they're killing the animal elephant and nobody can touch the meat they burn it so yeah thanks and he was saying sites was more like a 
agreement opposed to the to the southern hemisphere by the by the northern hemisphere. The guy was saying they're talking about like they have all the tools and all the all the things and they live in a comfortable environment. Saying, "Oh, you guys should be doing this," but this is Africa and we don't. This is what we have. Yeah, just comes down in the end, really, like said, to your own conscience and buyer beware. You know, if you buy, if you go to buy something and you're not sure, have a quick look. If you see it's a banned substance or banned product, and you want to run the gauntlet. Go for it. Sometimes you get the stuff in, sometimes you don't. But don't don't fucking cry and make a big song and dance about it if your $80 piece of Honduran Rosewood bill um, gets confiscated by customs because it's fucking fair chance it's going to. Oh, you're nice. But you know, Australia is. Yeah. Australia is taking sides more serious than any other country in the world. So I looked it up to legally bring some, some stuff a few years back then. So the rule is, you know, for I'm talking about for Australia. Anything that is, uh, this is anything that's extinct, like the mammoth, okay, that's good to go because it's extinct. There's no chance of <laughs> killing more than it's already been dead. Mammoth, okay, it's been dead. Okay, you yeah. can bring mammoth ivory, you can bring mammoth tusks, uh, you can bring uh, mammoth teeth and all that. That's good to go. Okay, um, if it's if something is ancient, if you can provide that's in, prove that it's ancient, it's good. But bringing muskox horn to Australia. Is not anything from the Dalbergia family from the sites is not legal. But saying that when you look at the Dalbergia and all that stuff, you see all the timber still being sold in the U.S. like by meters, by by per uh, per pound per foot or something. That's the value they sell. It's incredible. I don't think the I don't think you're going to solve the problem by making the sale illegal. You have to go to the source so people don't chop up those trees. I can I can or, go to re- website right promote now. Promote the farming of the trees, right? Planting actively yeah, planting the bloody trees for future supply. Same as muskox. Why not farm muskox for their horn? The horn has enough value; it's worth more than the meat. So I don't understand why don't we farm these creatures, these plants, these trees? I mean, obviously preserve sections where people can't hunt and poach, but people are less likely to hunt and poach when there's farms there selling it. It's not. It, it's just got to be managed. Managed. Yeah. So there you go. We're a little bit passionate about that, aren't I? Probably going <laughs> to cop some flack. Bring it on, people. Bring yeah. it on. Yeah. Well, another another solution is just to use sustainable sustainable materials. For example, Gigi. There's plenty of it, and there's not much risk of being going out. So use sustainable materials if you want to have a peace of mind. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Gigi's. Kidgy's good. I, I mean, I personally wouldn't. I don't really support the trade, like, but but I'm just saying, if you want to make it, if you want to make something s- survive, you you got to make it worthwhile for people to do it. This is the sad truth. Mm. So I had a um, we had another question come through, uh, or they said a question, but it's it's a series of questions, and we're not going to have time to look at it today, but we'll we'll get on there. It's a potential shit bite can of worm scenario. But Ashley Edwards has sent through a question um, regarding, oh, he says he enjoys working with various steels, both high carbon and stainless. And can we do a rundown on steel types, powdered versus conventionals, their applications, and why we choose one over another? Um, rundown on steels that are suitable for forging, why some are, why some aren't. Uh, maybe talk about toughness and brittleness, ease of heat treatment, etc. 
And he said, I think that information will be um, helpful to to other users. So that's going to be one. We'll, we'll cover that sort of stuff. We've covered a little bit about, you know, carbon steel, uh, patinering and against stainless and whatever. But we'll go through these things over a period of time, I think, because, you know, that's a, that's a, probably two. That's episodes a two episode. That's, that's a two episode. Like It's a two episodes and you've got the three of us. Uh, guys that will have our own opinions and our opinions not might not be the same as others as we've come across a few times already. Um, so the caveat is when you ask a question of knife making down under podcast, you're getting the, uh, you know, informed opinion of us. Uh, we're not the friggin' law. So you'll just get an idea of what's going on. But yeah, we'll go through. I think that's a good series of things to talk about and we'll cover that over a period of time, I think. Yeah. Um, he also did say that he enjoyed the Adelaide Knife Show, so he was down there, which is a good thing. He said they did some networking, and as a result of that show, um, there's now a hammering organised in South Australia. So, again, what Coram was saying, go to knife shows, talk to people, start building up your networking, and, and, and get shit off the ground yourselves. Like, that's that's fucking good. They've, yeah. they've organised a hammering in South Australia. Yeah, and um, so their group is, uh, look it up anyway, South Australian Knife Makers and Blacksmiths, I think, or something like that. I'll yeah. get the exact link. Right up. Yeah, so that's good. So, yeah, thanks, Ash, for your um, your message through Facebook. Uh, we'll definitely cover some of that stuff. I had another, um, I'll just get to it here. We're not going to cover it today because we're almost <laughs> out of time. But I had another um, inquiry or suggestion that came through about um, can we do a do a little talk about grinders, the various types of grinders and the various sizes of grinders. So your two by forty eight versus two by seventy two, potentially versus one by thirties, all that sort of stuff. Um, platens, the difference in platens, so ceramic versus steel versus carbide, that sort of stuff. Uh, motor sizes and a whole lot of other stuff on there. So again, that's probably that could be a full episode uh, in itself, but we'll go through over a period of time and talk about um, that sort of stuff. We've hit, we've touched upon, you know, the benefits. The grinders, and, yeah, the grinders, grinders is, we, is we, a good one because we've touched on grinders runs two by yeah. seventy two. Kev runs two by forty eight, and I run two by forty eight and two by seventy two. So I think we've got that yeah. covered when we have that discussion. Yeah. So and like I said, different belts and stuff. We've used, we've all used a stack of belts. And as you know, we, we the three of us have our preference, which is um, Norton products, or specifically for my first lot of grinding and stuff, Norton Blaze. So I use the 50s and 100s of those religiously. Um, and I've got some, well, what's the other one? Uh, Norton. The, Norax. They look, Norax. They look like the Trizac belts. Yeah, yeah I've got, they, I've got they some. They clean scratch is so good. Yeah, I've got some 100 grid of those to try out, which I'll do in the next. Well, probably hopefully in the next week I'll get my ass into gear and use those and see what I think of those. Um, and platens and stuff, we'll talk about the pros and cons of different platens, of course, because um, if you're an experienced maker, you know that um, these things do wear out and there's benefits to exploring different things. I've never used glass or ceramic, um, but I have got a carbide plate on one of my grinders and just the mild steel on the other stuff. So um, you can talk about the pros and cons of those as well. Awesome. Well, I think outside of that, oh, man, what do you got to say, buddy? Uh, look, this is not a shout-out, but 
there's a uh, there is a resource I'm going to share so everybody everybody can use it as well. Um, there's an app, okay? There's an app, and this uh, gentleman he was writing a knife reviews probably like ten years ago, and he did a knife knife steel app, Z knives, okay? I'll go check the app right now. So the app is known as a knife steel chart. You can find it for your Android or for your iPhone. So this gentleman who was working for a tech, he sat down and he pretty much down he pretty much wrote down all the composition of the steels, okay? And you so with this app you can click on you can find 1084 and you can compare 1084 with a different steel. In that app, it will tell you how much of the alloy it has, who is the producer, under what other names are it made for. Okay, so if you download that knife steel chart, it's a great tool. If what I is hear it use knife steel chart, that's the name of the app, is it? Yeah, that's the name of the app. Corin, do you have that app? Oh, god, yeah, it's the best. Z9s oh, do it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Z9s, nice. he does it. And so, if there's a new steel that come out, chart, comes out, comes out, or if the if, if it's the first time you hear it and you're like, oh, shit, I never heard of that. And you go to that app and you type it, 99% of the time the steel is there. You, you can, can see the composition. You can, you can compare it with other steels. Yep. Put them side by side. Look at the graphs. See exactly what the yes. differences are. It's just a, it's a really good app. Really, really good app. Z knives. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely recommend it. I highly recommend that. And going back to the South Australian guys, the group is South Australian Knife Making and Blacksmithing Social Group. That's actually Edward's group, I believe. Yeah, righto. Oh, good on you, mate, for, um, for starting that up, for looking out for the other guys. Um, anything else, fellas? What you, anything else anyone wants to bring up? Well, it's uh, plenty <laughs> to talk I just about. Che I just checked my... Uh, Instagram <laughs> with Dom. <laughs> <laughs> I put that up. I told you oh, I was doing it. Yeah. <laughs> what I um, uh, maybe we should have a quick chat about send that picture. About two by seventy-two by versus two by forty-eight grinders. You know, does size well, matters? Does size? Hey, it's not what you. It's not how big it is. It's what you do with it, man. It's not. Uh, a, it's not the, a long conversation because we've all got our opinions, and it yeah, and it just comes down to. <laughs> Yeah, you go first, Kevin, and, and then you go, Mert, and then I'll follow it up with what I think. For the 2x48s, mm. well, for me, one of the reasons was uh, I first bought a Radius Master, which was a 2x48. Um, it was one of the, the go-to grinders, I guess, at the time. Variable speed. Um, felts were pretty convenient to get. And so it didn't take up that much space. So that was the go for that. And then the other two I bought were the Shopmate 48s. Um, part of it was I didn't want to have to stock two lots of belts. And another part of it was manageable space in my workshop. So the footprint, the actual footprint uh, of those grinders was uh, a big consideration in why I did what I did. So yeah. for me, the 2x48 was... Um, uh, a choice of not having to change up and hold two lots of stock and space in my workshop. I've got three 2x48 grinders lined up next to each other and they take up very little room in my workshop. And they're all shop mates or have you still got your Radius Master? 
What was that, sorry? Are they all shop mates yes. or is one a Radius Master? Uh, yeah, no, I've got two of the shop mates and then one Radius, Radius Master. Master. Yeah, 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 good. I've got, a, I've got one of those, um, you know, first girlfriend sort of um, attachments to my uh, Radius Master. I, I like it. I just, it's just, I, I, I tend to use it. The, the shop mates for me, are, I, I do use them for different things like small wheels and surface grinders, but uh, in one regard, they're my students. Mostly they're used by my students, and I use my Radius Master for 90% of my stuff. I can't let go. No, no, I've got one as well. I feel the same way about it, you know. I mean, yeah. there's so many advantages to the newer grinders these days, but the uh, the Radius Master, it's it's got its thing. Yeah, it's bulletproof. It's a good, good yeah. machine. And what about you, Matt, with your 2 by whatever they are, 72s? Yeah, 72. So what happened was when I did a knife course with Keith Father a few years back then, like five, six years ago, he said, go buy two by 72. I think back then the choice was only, only 48 was in the market. I think it was the Radius Master. That's and great. Radius Master, yeah, I think that was a choice. And I ended up buying a little body, uh, little body 72 inch because that had the variable speed. And I find the, yes, I find the belts of the 72 are slightly more expensive than the 48. But I think because there's a more surface area, they tend to last a little bit longer than the 48s. Correct. And, yeah, that's that's the, like, I, my first one was a 72. And again, as you said, Kev, I didn't want to carry two kinds of belts. And when I was building yeah. my second Frankenstein grinder and I was like you know what let's just make this to 72 as well so I got 272 and if I can I would love to get the third one yeah yeah, yeah. yeah look ultimately the way I look at it is if I was buying a grinder for me and me alone <coughs> without consideration of classes I'd be buying one of the Gibson 72s without a fucking doubt yeah they're nice grinders so that's that's the bomb. When you look at uh, one of the other questions from the other from, from the listener um, was, you know, why choose these things? Sometimes it's an economical point of view. You can get a certain grinder at a certain price. If that's what you can afford at the time, it's the best you can get, go for it. The, the, the luxury we have with knife making is it can be a hobby that can sustain itself in terms of, you know, if you make a the product that's decent enough to sell, you can fund what you're doing you know, without dipping into your pocket too much. Generally, once you've got yourself established, you'll start slowing down on the spend or you'll increase the spend and you'll just buy bigger and bigger and, you know, crazier tools for your workshop, which has, tends to happen. Most people, you know, you can't stop. The addiction starts, you can't stop. But buy the best thing that you can afford at the time. If it gives you a good feeling, if it's going to help you make knives and inspire you to do better, just take the plunge and do it, you know. There's lots of different grinders on the market at the moment. There's different people making them. Most of them are, you know, reasonable quality and suitable enough to make knives. You'll get personal opinions again coming into uh, decisions why we got that. I've I, looked at that. I don't have a, like a sales preference on a 2x72 <laughs> versus 2x48 because I sell both. So if people come yeah. to me, they want a 2x72 or a 2x48, I've got both options and they can make up their mind. But... But my personal opinion is, if I was buying a grinder and I'm hobbyist, I would really seriously look at the 2x48 for the footprint, for the yep. fact that they are just as capable as a 2x72 at doing anything a 2x72 does, except for two things. So a 2x48 
for example, the um, the ones we sell anyway, will run radius platens, so you can run 36-inch, 48-inch, uh, 72-inch radius platens. You can put a surface grinder attachment. You can put small wheel attachments with 6mm, 12mm, 20mm, 25mm small wheels. You've got a 20mm contact wheel, a 30mm contact wheel, slack belt, plate and grinding. All of that's available on a 2x48 in a very small package. The two things you can't do, you can't go over 10 inch on a contact wheel. So you can put all contact wheels up to 10 inch, which is about 200 mil, but you can't go over that uh, unless you go to a bigger belt. So you can you can go to a bigger bigger wheel, but you have to run a bigger belt. Um, yeah. The 2x72 grinder is a bigger grinder, bigger footprint, and it's good for the hollow grinding. You can put the, two, the 14 inch and... 12-inch wheels on if you want those wheels for your particular application. So there's the, the thing that comes up all the time is heat buildup. Now, we've measured heat buildup, uh, and we don't think there's any bloody difference between a 2x48 or 2x72. It's certainly not one that's easily measurable. The belts do last longer on a 2x72. There is more belt, um, but they do cost more. The difference is they do cost a little bit more per belt but for the hobbyist knife maker, where you save money buying belts is what? Buying packs, right? You buy a pack of belts, not individually. You buy packs, you save 20, 25%. A pack of 2x48 of belts to, uh, is much less expensive and much less cash tied up for the hobbyist than a pack of 2x72 belts. It's like whatever the difference is, 20 or 30% more to buy the 2x72s to get the discount. So you're tying up cash, which for a hobbyist, you might might take you a year to use a pack of belts. A guy like me, I, I, I don't buy belts by the pack because I, I don't go through them that quick. So they're, to me, they're the pros and cons. Um, the 2x48s are by far and away the, most, the big best-selling grinders. 2x72s, perhaps a, a little bit less limiting in as much as if you want a hollow grind. Um, but whatever you get, if it's a good quality machine, the problem, if it's not, if, you, if, if you're not making great knives on it, the problem, my friend, is you. Steve Filosetti was making, was making awesome quality knives recognized around the world on a, on a multi-tool attachment until just very recently when he started, uh, when he started uh, with a, he got a Tag 101 at Wilmont. So there you go. Sweet. That's my, my, right. two, my two bobs on grinders. Yeah, that's, uh, a, that's a worthy two bob. I think we'll wrap the show up, huh? I don't know yep. what the podcast is going to be called this week. Knife Making Down Under on Grinder. This could be uh, the end of an era, for, end of the era for Adelaide Show and get your grind on, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys. You, you feeling my you feeling my ivory? Yeah. <laughs> tusk, tusk, tusk. Uh. All right, no worries at all. That's a that's a very nice uh, task. Anyway, never mind. Yeah. People can't see what you're doing there, Kevin. It's probably for the best. I think so. All right. I like so. not having us on camera, <laughs> apart from our private views. <laughs> and, uh, oh, you don't want to see that. Come on, mate. This is a family show. For fuck's sake. Uh, thanks. <laughs> thanks for listening, everyone.
Yeah, thanks, everyone. Oh, and don't forget, people. Um, oh, there's a couple of things I wanted to throw in. Make sure you um, subscribe spread the, and spread the like. word about our podcast if you if you like it and you enjoy yeah. it. If you don't like it and enjoy it, you can write to us and give us your feedback. I'm sure we'll gratefully receive it, receive it, and uh, try and improve or mock it, whatever. Um, and I'd like to run a competition. I'll maybe do a T-shirt giveaway Ooh. or something. And I haven't talked Ooh. to these two fine gentlemen in front of me, uh, uh, joining me here on this podcast um, about that competition. So maybe we maybe we start putting together some ideas. Guys, do you have anything off the top of your head for a promotional competition that promotes knife making down under? I had it in my head. If, if you listen to Triple J years ago when Adam Spencer and I think it was Will uh, was, was running it, they had a competition between the two of them where they wrote to the Herald and with stupid listen to questions, like reader questions and things. And if they got published in the comments section, they got a certain number of points each, you know, using false names and all the rest of it. Yeah. I just think maybe wouldn't it be a good gag to uh, to get our listeners to um, write into knife making, <laughs> knife talk or something like that and see if they can get <laughs> their questions published <laughs> for the chance to win a T-shirt. But maybe I'm stirring the shit too much there. You know, I, I admit it's... um. Anyway, we, we what do you it. boys think? A little bit of friendly competition's healthy yeah. for the ecosystem. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have a think as about it. We'll as long as there. we don't do those, you know, like things like uh, tag five friends and comment. Oh, as long that. as no. we don't do those, like Let's, you open the notifications, it's gotta tag be, five people. It's got to be genuinely funny. It's yeah. got to be genuinely and funny. I fucking hate that. I get tagged with those giveaways. Oh. I don't even go in giveaways. I really don't. Unless it's something that I absolutely specifically would love to have. I just like, fuck, you know what? Someone else can win that knife. I'd love to own that knife, but someone else can have it. And then I get, fucking no shit, 25 fucking followers that follow me tagging me in there. And I'm like, for fuck's sake, just fucking don't use my name. Like, go for it yourselves. I fucking hate that. It doesn't do anything for me to, to promote me to go and follow pages or anything because, like I said, the giveaways, nine out of ten, I don't even fucking look at. I'll, I'll leave them to other people. But yeah. to win a poxy T-shirt, it would still be good yeah. to run something. And oh, funny. it would be the so, best fucking – that would be the best fucking thing ever. <laughs> I don't know. Something that shit heart, stirs. Dude. So if any listeners has a question or, or an idea for a competition, that would be a bit of a shit stir – Get the word out about our podcast and perhaps uh, start some rivalry with, uh, you know. Other podcasts. No, like, There's a few around. Like, you know, let's poke the bear with a stick. I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah. Yeah. We might, have to, we might have to do like a little video challenge or something. People do a yeah, do submit something. a 15 second video yeah, of something, something in their workshop. Yeah. yeah. It's got to be entertaining though. Anyway, so there we go. We did make any decisions, but we're going to move on. I'm going to say goodbye. <laughs> right <laughs> have, on, mate. Have a good one, boys. Sorry right. I've missed you down in Adelaide. See you guys. See you guys. Ah, yeah. We'll get over it. Yeah. Right on. Bye. Right, right, right. So, <laughs> yeah. See you guys. <laughs> Bye.